Scripture this morning is from the book of Philippians, chapter 1. We'll be reading verses 12 through the first part of verse 18. We're walking through the book of Philippians verse by verse, and we're taking our time because we want the truth of this book to sink into our hearts and to be uh, absorbed in everything that we're doing as a congregation and as individual Christians. And as we continue to move through it, our prayer is that you take time at least once a month, although I've had people say, Pastor, we can do that more than that, maybe once a week, to read through the book of Philippians. I think that you'll find it to be something that will help you as you hear our sermons and, and, and come to study the, the Scripture with us. So verse 12 begins this way. Paul writes, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear Throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do it so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. Will you join me in prayer for our pastor as he comes to share the interpretation of the word this morning? Lord God, we come today to hear your word, Lord, and to let it intersect with our lives in every way possible. And we pray for Pastor Mike as he comes to share this morning that indeed your spirit would flow through him. And Lord, that every person here would understand why you brought them here this morning and that your word would accomplish everything that you set it out to today in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. So good to be here. I mean, it really is good to be here. It was freezing in the chapel this morning. The power went off yesterday, and our heating system is apparently coming back on in uh, shifts. So um, nice to be in the warmth of the congregation, the warmth of the sanctuary this morning. I want to take a couple of moments uh, just to tell you a little bit. If you see, like, any of us up here kind of going like this during this sermon, it's not that we've lost our mind, although that might be part of it. It's because yesterday... We had this fantastic, and Friday we had this fantastic puppet show. The 1914 uh, troop put on their puppet show. The sanctuary was packed to the gills last night. And every once in a while, every Sunday when we have the day after the puppet show, there's a boa feather or something that floats around in here. So if you see me dancing, it's not because of that. But I do want to thank Jason all. It was a fantastic performance. He led a great troop this year. It was fantastic. It was absolutely off the charts. Well done. Well, well done. God be praised. A couple of you have, have asked me, why are we doing the Healthy Church Initiative? Why is that being inflicted on us? And, and I, I want to have some clarity about that. Um, when I went to uh, college, I met the fastest human being that I think I'll ever meet. His name was Dwayne Lucas. Uh, Lucas uh, uh, was out of South Denver, but he was uh, at the Drake Relays the prior year. He had outsprinted in the 100-meter dash a guy named Harvey Glantz from Auburn University who was the previous year's gold medal winner at the Olympics. And Dwayne was on the football team that I was playing on in college. And one day after practice, Dwayne, who ran a legitimate 4-3, 4-4 on grass, 40-yard dash, 
stayed after practice. We were all going in. We were all tired. And there's Lucas out there running sprints faster, faster, faster. And a couple of us stopped by and said, Luke, what are you doing? He said, you're the fastest guy we know. You're the fastest guy in Iowa. What are you running sprints for? He says, nobody ever said the fast can't get faster. I tell you that story to, to share with this. The reason that they, we are part of the Healthy Church Initiative and why we want you to engage and involve yourself in it is because we believe by God's strong hand we are a good church, but who says the good can't become great? And so we are endeavoring to do that, so please participate in that. It is not being inflicted upon us. We actually raised our hand and said, choose us, choose us. We want to be the kind of church that God wants us to be, so come here and lead us through the process. So we do hope you involve yourself. If you don't have the consultation report, there's a variety of ways uh, to get your hands on it. Now today, as Keith mentioned, we are continuing our walk through Philippians, and we're taking a slow walk, like Keith said, so we can chew on it, we can feel with it. And today we come to this passage where Paul finds himself, and he's writing from prison, and he kind of yells out to us, is your circumstance an opportunity or an affliction? Is your circumstance a, an opportunity and affliction? I was out at, at a food court the other day, a, a couple of weeks ago, and, and food courts are not the quietest restaurants in town. You know, there's people moving around, little people moving around all the time. And I heard this. A lot of you women have heard this in your life. I heard from kind of afar, Mommy, Mommy. And of course, it's easy to identify quickly whose voice that is, even though they're all named Mommy, Right? Everybody in there is named Mommy, but they know which Mommy it is. And you watch the woman turn her head. And right then, I can always tell if that woman believes that that child calling to her is an opportunity, that great opportunity to raise one in the Judeo-Christian tradition and you know, assimilate them into society and, and show them the way, or if it's an affliction. If you're sitting at the food court, I don't care how many other women around that, that woman, whether they're having their little coffee clutch or whatever, and somebody says, Mommy, Mommy, when they, get, when they look up like this and you know, have that face, that is an opportunity. And that's how they're dealing with their circumstance. Others, of course, you know, you'll see it all the time. Kids will yell, Mommy, Mommy. Oh, gosh, that kid. And we have to choose. See, there's Paul. In the prison cell. And as Keith told you a few weeks ago when he gave the overview, he's saying, man, is it lucky I'm in prison. Because I can get these guards saved and I can get the prisoners the word of Jesus. He was in a terrible circumstances, cir- circumstance. He wasn't eating anything but bugs and rice and all that kind of stuff. He was chained to people on his right and left. And you know what Paul said? This is an opportunity for me. This is an opportunity for God. This is, I am having things afflicted upon me, but this is an opportunity, and I'm going to take it. And he says that to us, Christians, so that we might understand something very clear. Do not resent where God has put you. You are in a place to serve. Do not resent where God has put you, for you are in a place to serve. Dave Reaver, maybe some of you have come across him, enlisted in 1968 to go to the Vietnam War. He felt it was the right thing to do. He loved his country, went to Vietnam. He was in a boat there, and they were going down the river, and I don't know enough about it. I just know a little bit about the story he's told. But he picked up what's known as a white phosphorus grenade, and his job was to pull the pin and throw it at whatever they were throwing it at. And apparently those grenades, when you pick them up, you're supposed to pull the pin, and they have a handful of seconds before it goes off. And when he pulled the pin, it went off. Now, white, the white phosphorus came out of there and literally consumed his body with flames. He was on fire from top to bottom. He was in the river, 
Uh, I mean, they were in the boat, so he just jumped in the river, but the, fo- the fire was so great, the water would not put the flames out. Almost immediately, he was covered pretty much head to toe with third-degree burns. When he came out of the water and his friends that were dragging him, certainly they thought they were dead. One of his friends looked inside of his chest cavity and could literally see his heart beating. Very difficult. No one you would think would survive from that. And what Dave Rader was saying, Reaver was saying as he was being drugged onto, uh, onto the shore was saying, Dear God, I know you put me on this earth for a purpose. Let this be an opportunity. So moved were the people that drug, drug him out of the river that as soon as they got him to the hospital, they immediately went to, cha- the, to the chaplain and both of them received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Right there because of this great faith of the one that was on the battlefield. And that's just a small portion of his mi- ministry because what Reaver has done, spent his life doing since, ni- since he healed. And I've got to tell you, I've seen him speak in public high schools a number of times. And you know what I'm saying, and so I, I'm going to be real with you. When you first see Dave, Dave Reaver, it's, he's hard to look at. It's difficult. He's a, a scar from head to toe, no eyebrows, no hair, any of that kind of stuff. But to hear him speak, and this is what he does, he goes out and speaks to high schools all the time about uh, suicide prevention because he says, listen, God put my scars on the outside so that you can see them. But I know that all of you have scars on the inside. Let my example be an opportunity for you. Do not give up no matter what you're facing. What a magnificent ministry. I mean, he has the worst circumstances that some of us can ever imagine. And he claims it all as opportunity. Now, I'll I'll say this because I know this is true. All of us have lots of circumstances. It it doesn't matter who we are. If if we're part of this church or just visiting, we've got difficult things in our financial lives. We've got difficult things in our home lives. We've got difficult things in our health lives. We've got difficult things in our mental health lives. Everybody, most everybody in here is facing something. And some of those circumstances are very difficult, even by world terms, might be considered die. And we all have plenty of circumstance. And Dave Reaver's example, and the Apostle Paul's example, would say, while we all have plenty of circumstance, we also have plenty of opportunity or affliction, and we have to choose. You see, what we do with our circumstances, whether we claim them as opportunity or afflictions, demonstrates what we believe. Dave Reaver and the Apostle Paul took their afflictions, they took their circumstances, and rather than being afflicted while they were in the midst of these difficult circumstances, they chose them to be opportunities for the greater good. Circumstance that comes to you and I always comes with a name tag, opportunity or affliction. And by God's strong hand, we are admonished to choose opportunity. See, Paul's prison example is this. Look for ways to demonstrate your faith in difficult situations. No matter what the situation is, look to demonstrate your faith. I was reading, and this is an astonishing thing. You know, there is probably nothing in the last half dozen months or so that has greatly affected the United States of America, more greatly affected than this tragedy in Newton, Connecticut, that, the, the, you know, the broken mind that went into the school and, and murdered so many children. N- nothing could be more horrible than that. And imagine yourself one of the, the parents of the ch- children. There was a hearing going on in Washington, D.C., and it was... It was about a lot of the political stuff that comes out of there. But listen to this. This is what one of the mothers said. She stood in front of there with millions of people watching her on television and said this. This is difficult circumstance. 
and God will help us through. She didn't say she hoped that God would help us through it. She, she didn't guess or think, oh, I'd be, it would be great if God would come by. She said, I know that God will help us through. See, that rings down to your and my heart. Because whether the situation improves, see, her situation's not going to greatly improve no matter what she does. She's still going to be the mother of a child that was slain when he just went to school. We know that because we have circumstances and difficulties all around us. We have these things that could afflict us. And we know that sometimes, no matter how much faith we put in God, maybe the circumstance won't change. But when you put your faith in God and you say, I know that God will help me, God will bless you in that circumstance and that, that difficulty, and your faith will grow. Now, most importantly here, your faith will demonstrate what Paul knew, what Paul absolutely knew. And that is this, that the cause of Christ is invincible, no matter what happens to a representative of it. No matter what happens to you or me, no matter what happens to them, the cause of Christ throughout the world, the cause of Christ in this globe is invincible. You know, the varsity in Christian discipleship was the first 12 that Jesus picked. You know, one of them fell away, we know that. They replaced him with another, and 11 of those next 12, all were murdered for their faith. They, they tried to eradicate them. Paul, the apostle, went out, and as he re- writes this letter to us, he's standing in line to be executed. He, he's taken away. No matter all these first-string varsity you know, witnesses, they're all wiped off the face of the earth. But guess what? The cross of Christ is invincible, no matter what happens to the representatives of it, because here we are. 2,000 years later, the first string was gone. Their witness didn't even get to go past one generation. And here we are on a Sunday morning. Why? It's pretty simplistic. Because they found what to live for. Because they could identify what was worth dying for. Christ crucified. You see, Christ crucified is the worst circumstance that you can imagine. Jesus is either afflicted with beatings, with rejection, with crowns of thorns, with swords in the side, with getting punched in the face, with being hung on the cross and dying. He's either afflicted with that, or he's taking opportunity to show us that God is beyond all that. That no matter what happens to you and I, that God has us in in his hands. The disciples all knew that. That regardless of what the circumstances you have in your life coming, the Lord has you in his strong hand. Now, why is it that they all knew that and we have such a difficulty getting that across today? You know, if you look at this little cheap $28 Timex, you know, I've got a $28 watch. Do you understand that this $28 watch has more computing power in it than the entire world had at the end of World War II? This little cheap Timex watch. The world is filled with knowledge. The world has iPads and iTouches. We got the internet. We got smartphones. We can talk into our phones and they'll do what we ask them to do it. And guess what? With all this technology, with all this knowledge, there's more confusion and more brokenness in the world today than there's ever been. No new tech thing will solve it. No, no, you know, Keith's got this phone. We're driving down the road the other day. Keith's got a smartphone. 
Okay, and it's got, what's, it, what's its helper, Siri? Is that who's? Siri helps Keith out. And the thing about Siri is, if you got Siri, it's really kind of cool. Okay, but there's all this knowledge. He can go, Siri, find me my restaurant. It'll show him. Siri, find me the gym. Siri, take me to the Grinnell United, United Methodist Church. It'll tell him this. But guess what? He says, Siri, turn my phone off. It can't do it. It cannot do it. it said, what's it say? It says, I am sorry. I should be able to do that, but I'm unable to. Right? Is that something like that? That's what it says. Okay, so we got all this technology, and it can't even turn itself off. How's it going to solve our problems? How's it going to solve that? We got so much knowledge out there, yet the brokenness just continues to expand. And we keep looking in every corner, but the answer's always been right in front of us. The answer is always Christ crucified. There is no other answer for the brokenness of the world And here's the thing, and this is where it comes home for us, and we know it. Amen? We know it's the only answer for all the world. We know it. And thus, we need to share it. But often we lack confidence. We lack confidence, don't we? You know, whenever you're trying to do something, the first thing you have to do is build up confidence. When I was a little kid, lived down in South Marion. When I first moved here, all the kids, the big kids in my neighborhood could ride their bike. And they could all get on their bike in the summer. I'm sure they got the appropriate permissions and they could ride their bike to the pool. But I couldn't ride a big boy bike yet. I didn't have a bike with less than two or three or four wheels. I don't know what that was. So I had to learn how to ride a bike. We went to some kind of garage sale. I got my little bike and I started to practice. But I lived in, a, in the neighborhood where I live. There was a block right there. But you either had to be going up the hill across or down the hill. And that's not the place to learn first. So we had this street called D Avenue. And I could ride up and down D Avenue, first on the sidewalks, then as I gained confidence, as I kept, as I fell less and less, I got out on the street. Because my goal though, see my goal was not to, to, to just learn how to ride the bike. My goal was to get to the pool. My goal was to get down to the pool on my own. Because if you don't know how to ride your bike, you got to sit around waiting for your mom to get ready and take you to the pool. And your friends are already 25 minutes ahead of you, and you know that takes forever. So you wait and wait and wait, but, but you gain confidence because that was the rule. If you learn how to ride your bike, if you can have responsibility, you can get down there. That's what it's like gaining confidence in teaching the Lord and sharing the Lord with others. So we have to gain confidence to be able to share the Lord. And we do that by coming here. We do that by being together in Bible studies. We do that by being together in worship because the point of this is to get your heart warmed and closer to God and to build confidence. This is your flat land right here. This is where you can kind of get confidence in the Lord. You can express yourself in ways that you won't get turned down, that you won't fall down. Right here you can build confidence because I'll tell you this. This I know for sure. When you get confident in something, it leads to daring. My confidence always leads to daring something. When Paul was, when Paul was there in prison, he says, let my confidence... Be an example to you. Regardless of what happens to me, grow confidence, grow daring from me. You know, when I was a kid learning how to ride my bike, the goal was to get to the pool. And I knew I couldn't do it from the garage. I couldn't. No matter how much I practiced in the garage, I couldn't get it. I had to get out on the street. So eventually, I had to start going around the block. 
And finally, I had enough confidence that I was willing to take the dare. And I'll tell you what, first time I went around the block, guess what happened? I got going down 12th Street, which is a hill, runs right in front of Dan and Kay Chia's house. They weren't there. They'd have helped me if they'd lived there by then. But they weren't there yet. And I tried to make that turn on the D Avenue, and there was sand and stuff from the winter all over. And I went, Psh, biff. We did a Mikey road, ra- road rash across there, right? I'm bleeding from my elbows and my knees, and I'm mad too. Because it hurt, and I want to get to the pool. And I wasn't going to quit just because I fell. Christian faith is like that too. Just because you fall doesn't mean you don't continue on. Because here's the thing. When you have confidence, it leads to daring, and daring is always greater than fear. Daring is always greater than our fear if it's filled with confidence. Because when you're confident in God, you will not fear the results. So many people have told me that they are afraid that they'll get rejected. But confidence that leads to daring is much greater than fear. And the result is, when you have confidence, you will take the dare necessary. You see, I finally got to that pool. I was 27 years old, but I got there. It was awesome. But see, when you have confidence that leads to fear and it's greater than daring, can you show that next slide? Because it's so cool. I love it. There it is. See, it's greater than daring. You'll have the confidence and the assurance that people may come to God, may come to know Him, may come to be in relation with Him because of you. Because you are daring enough to take the risk. Now, here's the best news. The best news, and this is why I encourage you. The best news is this. The perfect can be expressed through the imperfect. The perfect can be expressed through the imperfect. Isn't that good news? See, the gospel is far more powerful than the worthiness of its communicators. The gospel is far more power than the worthiness of its ministers. You know, I was coming out in ministry in the 80s, and some of you remember the 80s. It was a great time in the church except for one thing. There was a word put in our lexicon that we can't unlearn, that we can't forget, and that word is televangelist. Remember them? They're still out there, but there was a whole scheme, you know, uh, strand of them, that televangelists that came out, and they were on TV, and they got big. And then actually, unfortunately, one by one, they fell due to moral failure doing inappropriate things of one nature. I was called over to a woman's house one day. Her name's Marilyn Cullen. She was a bedrock Christian, and she said, Pastor Mike, I want you to understand one thing. The best news is in the gospel is that the perfect can be expressed through the imperfect because I was divorced and going through the bottom of life. I was drinking a fifth of black velvet every single week, and I listened to a man talk to me about Jesus on TV and I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. His name is Jim Baker, and he's one of the worst televangelists you ever had. He was the bottom of that, bottom feeder of that pit, but guess what? She learned Jesus Christ because of him. Even though he was imperfect, the worthiness of the gospel far outweighed the worthiness of the one who is sharing it. Men and women always have feet in clay, of, of clay. We're always flawed, but the imperfect can run through us if we're willing to be open and have confidence. That leads to daring, that casts out and is bigger than fears. The best news is that the perfect can be expressed through the perfect, the imperfect. And that's you and me. See, we have a role in this. God aligns us with His perfect will, 
He goes on about this all the time. I, I, I'm going to give you one ancillary text today, and that's from Romans chapter 6. I mean, this is how God aligns us. He tells us who we once were. We were once slaves, and he uses this example. This is how he aligns us. So listen carefully. I'm using an example from everyday life. Because of your human limitations, just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness that leads to holiness. Get that? Whatever comes, take the opportunity. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. But what, what benefit did you reap at that time from those things that you're now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, if you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have to worry about how qualified you are. He qualifies you. Because it doesn't matter what our, you know, that's what Paul tells us. It doesn't matter what your confidence is. It doesn't even matter what your risk of daring. It doesn't even matter if somebody will reject us. It doesn't matter how afraid you are. That doesn't matter. What matters is where you put God in your life. Because we say this all the time in church. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Do you think the disciples had any qualifications that you would want to sit and listen to a sermon from before Pentecost? No. They, they were just disciples, Jesus' lackeys. They were trying to learn it, trying to get it. And at the day of Pentecost, them being faithful to Jesus, he dumped the Holy Spirit on them. They went out into the community and began to speak of every, every language in, in all creation. And people heard Jesus proclaimed in that day. They were not qualified to do such a thing. God called them and gave the qualifications he needed. Do you think Paul was qualified to be the leader of the, of, of the Christian church and the Gentiles? He was going off to Damascus, Syria when God encountered him. He was going off to Damascus to round up a bunch of Christians, beat them nearly to death, and then drag them back across the wilderness so that they might be tried and crucified in Jerusalem. He was no more qualified to be the leader of the church, but God qualified him there on the Damascus Road, showed him the Holy Spirit, came face to face with him. And I'll tell you, this is true too. You all have giants in your faith. If you have a faith at all, you have someone that is a giant in your background, a grandma, a mother, a brother, a preacher, or somebody. And I'll tell you this, every single one of them, just like all the disciples, have feet of clay. They were unqualified to share the gospel until God qualified them. See, God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Our role is to not stand around and start staring up, hey, I've got to take five years of Bible study to become qualified so I can go out and talk. Our job is not to chase after the qualifications to proclaim the Gospels, but to receive the qualifications and to receive the call from the Lord, the things that He sends us to do. So here's the last thing. It's a repeat of the next thing. The best news, the perfect, can be expressed through the perfect you and me, but there are no guarantees in this. It's always a can-be situation. You see, I want you to look this over. Right here in this place, Scott Hibbins stood a couple weeks ago, our consultant, and said, 80% of the world in which you live, a North American culture, is unchurched or de-churched. 80% of the people around which you work every day, 80% of the people around which you play every day, 80% of the people that are probably in your families are either de-churched, which means they used to go to church and they quit coming to church, or they're unchurched. Now, we in the church can say, oh, what a horrible affliction. The church has fallen down. Or we can look at it from a business market. Any of you business people, that if you're going into a market and you're saying, holy cow, 80% of the people are ripe for what we have, you'd be like, yeah, yeah, 
right? Because it's possible. If there's that much availability and this much fire in our bellies, we can grow the confidence by God's strong hand. We can grow the daring by his qualification. And it will cast out our fear to say a single word. We got to look out every single day, brothers and sisters, at this world and say, is this lack of Christ and brokenness in the world an affliction that will crush us or an opportunity? We have to decide. Let us pray. Lord, our God, we thank you for putting us in place to serve you and be representatives of your gospel. We ask, O oh God, that we might serve you fruitfully and faithfully all of our days. In Jesus' name, amen. And brothers and sisters, we come to a moment of, com- of communion. And if you're a visitor or guest here, I just want to give you a quick uh, little walkthrough of what we do. First, if you're a visitor and guest, understand this. You are invited to this. We deny no one the body and blood of Jesus Christ. This is for you. We will take communion in a very simple way. In a minute, um, pastors and some confirmation students will line up all, kind of over on the side. We'll have the bread, uh, and the student will hand you the bread. You just simply take it out of the basket, dip it in the cup, come towards the middle then, kneel as long as you'd like to, and then simply return to your pews down the center. If you're one of our communion stewards that's taking uh, communion to a nursing home or some of our shut-ins, those bags are right here. Some of them, I think, have probably already gone out. But if you need one, they're right here. Uh, Be cautious when you step. And if you're unable to come forward, uh, Vicki will be coming out amongst you. Uh, Let us prepare for our communion service. On the last night of his life, there was discernment in the garden. Affliction or opportunity. Jesus saw what was going to be afflicted on his body, but chose it opportunity. So he took a loaf of bread, he broke it, he offered it to his disciples and said, take, eat, for this is the bread of life. Every time you eat bread, do it in remembrance of me. And after the supper was completed and everyone had had their fill, Lord Jesus took a cup, raised it to heaven, Gave thanks to his Father in heaven and then said, Drink from this, all of you, for in this cup is the wine, which represents my blood, which is shed for you and for many. As often as you eat this bread, drink this wine in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of all of God's mighty acts of salvation, we eat the bread, we drink the wine, knowing that salvation comes from God and God alone. And here on our knees, here as we taste these things, we can understand that we have opportunity to be saved, and to be agents of salvation to the world. Give us just one moment to get set uh, and then come eat and drink.